Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast coming to you on Tuesday, December 18th. If you haven't started your Christmas shopping, now is a good time. Hey, I have an idea for you, theathletic.com. Get somebody a gift. It's a hell of a gift. It's a, If the sports fan in your life doesn't have it, they're missing something. Uh, that's the last gift idea you get from us, but it's a good one. Uh, Aaron Portsline here with The Athletic, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Tom Reed. Good morning. Or as I call him, Tom Reed after that. Absolutely glorious collection of stories and vignettes and background on the the construction of Nationwide Arena. Now 20 years since the project began. And Tom wrote a, just a marvelous piece posted on The Athletic today uh, that highlights so many aspects of it that you probably didn't know um, and also highlights some of the people who really put in the the inspiration and the passion and certainly the elbow grease uh, to make that building in that area the special place that it is. We'll talk a ton about that further. Uh, let's get to the Blue Jackets at hand, a one nothing victory over Vegas last night. It's been more than a year since they've won a game one nothing. Bob Brofsky with his 25th career shutout, first of the season. Nick Foligno in his 800th game scores the only goal early in the third period in the Blue Jackets. I don't know if salted away is the is the right way to say it. They kind of hung on there for a stretch. But they are they are really it's it is interesting to me that with the snap of a finger, uh, the snap of their of their fingers in a long practice, what, eight days ago now? Nine days ago. This team has transformed itself uh, into a team that is a is not giving up a lot defensively. Um, I I shudder to think what it would have looked like if the Blue Jackets played the Golden Knights two weeks ago, uh, because the odd man rushes that they were giving up, the glorious scoring chances they were giving up. Um, my word, would Vegas have feasted on that? Just a just a wonderful transition team. Uh, Vegas, like just so quick going the other direction. Um, I'd like to sort of start with that, with this this defensive stance that the Blue Jackets have now uh, engaged in, and just what uh, this is who they need to be. It feels like to me, Tom. Would 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 you agree? Is this is this the? It's not all working, but I think as a baseline, the way that they're playing defensively. It has to be there, and it feels like it is there now. It's just part of their fabric. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, they needed to, they needed to change. Uh, they had become extremely entertaining, but at the same time, they were giving up tons of goals. So, yes, I think there's still a happy medium there somewhere. Uh, they're going to have to find a way to score some goals at some point. Uh but yeah, it's it's certainly it's better to see them playing at least defensively in the commitment to defense first. I mean, you hit it right on the head. Uh, Golden Knights are a fast team. I don't remember very many odd man rushes last right. night with clear cut ones. I mean, they got one massive break when the uh, puck that would have probably led to a breakaway hit a linesman, and other than that, they really kind of uh, held them down. And yeah. The, I think they're still sorting through this. I mean, if you guys remember last year about this time was when Torch took the sign down, the uh, safe as death sign down, and they'd started playing better defensively and then struggled to score goals. 
and tried to shoot their way out of it and eventually did. But uh, it does uh, remind you again how good this team can be defensively when it really puts its mind to it. And Allison, one thing I wanted to to get at with, with Torts, I think it was pregame last night that I asked him. Like we, There's an assumption, and it, it drives him crazy. Like If you want to set him off, that's a good place to start. That if a team checks and plays good defensively, that they're automatically giving up something in terms of creativity and, and offensive production, or at least offensive chances. Um, a, what are your thoughts on what we're seeing right now with them playing? But B, do we see a, I know we see a sharp decline in chances against, high danger chances against, I'm assuming as well. Do we also, what's the correlation in these last four games versus previous games in terms of scoring chances created? Are they, are they, I know they had some bad luck. Are they creating less chances in less offense or are they, are they just in one of those funks where Pierre-Luc Dubois is hitting crossbars and Felino's hitting goalie pads? Um, how do we measure this, these last four games? Yeah. You know, I think what's, what I've been preaching all this season is really working on increasing that differential between what they create and what they limit. Um, so for me, it was, it was also what Torts has been preaching, which is not so much generate more, but limit more. So what they've really been doing is exactly that is suppressing what they're allowing to their opponent um, versus what they were before. And if we look at what the Jackets have been doing outside of the Washington game, which I think we all would admit was kind of a low for this yeah, team, you know, they've got actually, they're in some of their top scoring chance production games, uh, particularly at five on five over the last four games. So Washington was a low. Um, in fact, it was the lowest of the season at 10 chances for, um, but since then they've been at 24, 26 and 30 and that's really the highest numbers um, that they've put up it's in the top of the highest numbers they put up all season the only game to exceed 30 um, was earlier this year when they had 35 but since then they've been they had a lull earlier but this is they're, they're keeping up their production they're also keeping up their shot attempts I think what we might be seeing a little bit of, too, and and I'll pick on Cam Atkinson as kind of the personification of this, is that, you know, the guy, if you go 12 games with a point, that's some crazy shooting percentage, right? So so we're seeing a little bit of that kind of a regression, and we've seen it in his poor game. He's had so many chances, even last night, and and just can't get the puck in the net. Um, But what this team is doing is exactly what Torts wanted. It's suppressing their opponent in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. Um, they've seen their shot attempts against um, going down and being some of the lowest of the season. Um, but they really have not suffered offensively much at all. Yeah, they're just not bearing. It's, it's, it's puck luck or their shooting percentage or they're not bearing chances like they were before. Yes, right? yes. And, and it's, yeah. it's interesting because last season – at the start, shooting percentage was their nemesis. They couldn't, they couldn't finish. That's everyone was, you know, we all remember below their point totals. And it really was because of shooting percentage. And that was one area that no one was really suffering from this year. In fact, some guys were seeing bumps from last year's total. So I think we're just seeing a little bit of a, a lull there. And um, it should average out just like it does every year for these guys. Yeah, they're 2-1-1 one one in their last four which certainly isn't overwhelming, 
But I do feel like if they if this is if this level of play can be sustained, I think they're in they're they're going to be rewarded more times than they're punished. Another thing that I've that I scratched out the other night after that game against Anaheim, and I thought it, it became really apparent against the Kings against Anaheim too. Not I'm not saying the Kings are good; they're not right now. But two classic Western Conference teams that are that are bangers and leaners, and and they play a physical brand of hockey. When that is pulled out of the Blue Jackets, and I think a lot of times it has to be pulled out; they have to sort of be reminded of their Western Conference roots. Um, I feel like they play really, really well when they're going hard. And let me throw some disclaimers in there. Yes, I understand correlation between having the puck and not having to hit. I also understand that the Blue Jackets don't have the puck so much more now that the hits should be declined from first in the league to 26th in the league. And I'm not looking at the raw number of hits because those are down all over the league. It's just not a hitting league as much as it used to be. But for them to be the team, the, the fifth least hitting team, I don't think they're the fifth most skilled team. And I think that's a part of their, that's an element of their game that has slid. It drives Tortorella crazy because he's trying to preach it. Uh, I And yes, we have to say the league's gone away from it. I'm not talking huge targeting the head hits and fight and all of this stuff. I'm talking about hits that are firm enough to separate the puck from the puck carrier. And every team has stretches in games where you don't have the puck as much. Um, and that's a way to get it back. Is that, am I, am I still dreaming of the goon days gone by Tom or is more needed in that? Do you agree with John Tortorella that more is needed in that front? <laughs> You know, I remember reading this story. I remember reading your story, and I'm just thinking, and we didn't talk at all about it, but I'm thinking, boy, is Allison reading this story? I'm like, I wonder what Allison's thinking about this story right now with hits and non-possession and all this stuff. Uh, I'm kind of split. I'm, I'm, I see the game more as, as, as the way, the way that it's going now. I think is 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 going to be hard to turn around, get back. But you're, but at the same time, your point is well taken. I mean, it's. Um, Sometimes hitting is the way it's, uh, I don't know, scored, but uh, collected varies from rink to rink. But for them to be that low is kind of eye-opening considering where they just were a couple of years ago. Right. When you look at that team, you really only one line stands out from doing that. And when it's together, the Jenner line, which has been so good, uh, you have that line. You have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I thought was really good last night. Was. That to the game. Uh, Dubinsky. And as far as the forwards, that's it. And when you look at their blue line, that's not the way they're built at all other than Savard, right? Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's just they are kind of built for the modern NHL. Uh, So when I read that story, it really did. It was eye-opening. But then I thought about how the team's constructed, and this is kind of who who they are. And uh, you were only going to get it from about what did I name about six or seven players there. Yeah, I still think they have more guys that should be playing like that than other teams do. Allison, where where are you at? I feel like you probably were one of the snarky comments at the bat, anonymous <laughs> at the end of the 
at the end of the uh, Allison's the, very the, professional. She would not do that. And she's also very straightforward. You wouldn't resort to those tactics. She would just say, Porty, that was that was horse shit. <laughs> well, and and we talked about this before you wrote that. And then I said at the time, I, I do think that, first of all, look, any sort of significant change in any measure bears a question, right? Because it signals something changed. So yep. regardless of the measure, it, it is valid to ask the question, of course. I I do subscribe and you know this and so do you, as you said, that, you know, you don't want to be all hits because that means you don't have the puck. And I do agree with Tom's point, too, of how is this being scored? I mean, I don't even know, to be honest, what is a hit in terms of it being scored anymore in the league From the arena. Yeah, right. So but right. but I think I think that I do agree with the principle, which I think is what you're you're pointing out here, that. This is a team as constructed that part of how they are going to gain possession of the puck is by playing physically and challenging their opponent to give up the puck and using their body to keep the puck. That is part of how they play. This is not a team of Taze and Kane and guys like that. And so it is important that that element is, is their game. If we're using hits as a proxy and in that context, Again, I think I think it's worthwhile to to consider. I think that, you know, as Tom said, there's only a few players right now who we maybe openly see playing that way. But I do think it is part of how they have to play to get the puck on their sticks. That's just who this group is. Aaron, I do agree with you. I think when they they are playing their best, there is that element in the in their game. I, I do. I completely agree with you on that. I mean, are they a top five skilled team? No. No. Are they top ten? Hmm. Uh, well, you know, you've got a, a guy like Kim Atkinson who's one of the hottest. Maybe not. Maybe they're somewhere in the middle, but they do have some high-end talent. I mean, Artemi Panarin. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not raking really on. Really high-end right. talent. Cam's high-end. Your top Seth, two defensemen. Yeah. Top two defensemen, maybe even even if you include Nudavar and Murray, I mean, that's a that's a hard question. I I I think it's a really hard question. They're probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and it hits is such a weird thing. I mean, the yeah. Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, and they were like by far last in the league in hits. And that's a team that that is the style that they've played: possession, possession, possession. Um, I think I think Washington is the kind of team plays the style of game that Columbus um, desires to play. They are a physical team. They're a physical team. They're Ovechkin, obviously, but and and Washington's the middle of the pack. If Columbus is middle of the pack and hits, I don't think you go. You don't think you even raise an eyebrow. Um, but to be that far down in the league, you're like, man, this team this team should not be that low in the league. Anyways, enough of that. Excuse me. Um, Blue Jackets uh, off today. This is Tuesday. They back, they're back to skate on Wednesday and afternoon skate. And then the Devils come to town on Thursday. Uh, that ends a six-game homestand. Boy, thank goodness they won last night. Or this homestand would have the uh, the air of stinkitude heading into <laughs> the final game uh, against the Devils. Um, and then they, they start a run here of of some some heavy metro teams 
which could uh, could set them up for a little bit of a run because the Metro isn't great right now. So you look at the stretch here, and they've got they've got the Devils, Flyers, Devils, Rangers, um, a little four pack around the holidays. Um, so a chance to make some some hay here with these guys. Uh, the one guy that they're trying desperately to get going this this could be twenty of the thirty five podcasts or whatever it is we've done <laughs> in a while. Um, Alexander Wenberg and I thought John Tortorella was really really interesting talking about him last night. There was you know there are times where Tortorella gets really pointed and airs uh, things publicly that I'm guessing players probably wouldn't want him to air. But last night, his his talk post game about Wenberg was we have we have got to do something to get him going. We've waited. He moved him up in the lineup last night when Panarin was out with the lower body injury, believed to be day to day. Anthony Duclair went into Panarin's spot, both five on five and power play, and then Tortorella curiously pulled Boone Jenner out of. The second line, I put Wenberg in the middle uh, between Felino and Anderson. And my thought was that maybe he felt like they needed more speed uh, higher in the lineup to go against Carlson. Mm. And Berg did see a lot of time against Carlson last night. And, in fact, kicked his ass in the face-off circle. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. But he Wenberg's now at one goal in his last 39 games. Almost a half season. One goal. Um and it has 36 shots on goal in that span. How far away, Allison, is he from being the Wenberg who looked like a budding number one center just a couple of years ago with that 1346-59 season? What are we looking at here, and, and how far is Alexander Wenberg 2018 from being Alexander Wenberg 2016? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Someone uh, asked a, a similar question last night and after hearing Torts's comments, what what they thought they heard was Torts saying that Wenberg needs more possession. And what I heard, and, and again, part of this is on Wenberg, the player, and Torts said this, is to demand the opportunity to play with the kind of players that make him the best, right? right. He has to do that in his play, and he has not. So it's a, it's a slippery slope here. But a huge difference when I started looking at this last night is that two years ago was Wenberg's best year in terms of who he was playing with. Uh And when you think about a player who is a playmaker, who is not totally in support, but, but is kind of the stick that stirs the drink. If, If you're not with players who feed what you do, there's no drink to stir, right? You're just kind of there. So I do, you know, we have seen, we have seen a change in the quality of player that he's been playing with relative to other years. And therefore his production has suffered. He is off where he was in that breakthrough season two years ago. And, you know, that, again, that's on him. If he plays better, if he plays harder, as Tort said, he's up on the top line. Um, But this is a guy who has seen his possession numbers go down. He has seen, obviously, even the goals for his team go down when he's on the ice. And he, he's got he's got to get back individually and also opportunity-wise to who he was. I thought it was interesting that Torts' comment was 
it was almost a throwaway, but I, I, I kind of was like, huh, that's interesting. He said he really liked Wenberg with Bjorkstrand and Panarin. Which yeah, was a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Which, which I thought was a really interesting idea. Um, and he implied he might try and do that sometime soon. And I would, I would be curious to see what that looks like because on paper that could be compelling. But again, if you're given that opportunity and you're Alexander Wenberg, you got to seize that. You've got to bring your very best game in that opportunity. And produce. So it's, it's exactly. A production result to that. That's what that top line is. Yeah, and it almost came as a, don't get too comfortable, Pierre-Luc. Right, right. Right? Yeah, I was like, whoa. Yeah, that, that caught my eye, too. I also thought there was a level of, like he mentioned, and, and you just went over this, but the guys next to him are, are guys that like to dump the puck and go grind. Right. Uh, and that is not his game. But he said, you know, he said, yeah, Wenberg has to want the puck. He's got to want to skate with the puck, which I think is the key. What has changed with him. And we've talked to him numerous times and he, he's not going there. But there it has been suggested that the physical toll he's taken. He's had a couple few concussions. Yes. Um, that your natural inclination is to not want the puck. Uh, because with the more you carry the puck and the more you carry you the more you carry the puck through traffic, the more you get hit. Um, and so maybe there's some reluctance there with that having having had the the injuries. Tom, where are you at with uh, young Mr. Wenberg? You saw that season where he was just he looked like a number one center. Well, he certainly did, and you know. You know. You do wonder about the again. again? You're right. I think we seem to talk about this all the time. Uh, you do wonder if the concussions have have made him a little bit more hesitant. And and I think I've said this before. I don't blame him. Right. You only get you only get one brain. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know where I am with him. That this this that statistic that you put out to start this segment, one goal in 39 games. It, I mean, it is shocking. Uh, I know he, he's more of a setup guy, but still, um, it's it's hard to uh, hard to believe kind of where he has fallen in the lineup. And again, they are they are succeeding without a natural center in the second role. Last night that they, they had him playing in Boone Jenner's spot, it's where Jenner's been most of the season, and it's uh, they've had to do that kind of out of necessity because. Uh, Wenberg did not grab that, you know, they, they just weren't able to build a successful second line around him. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. And I agree with Allison. Uh, if they do try, um, would try something with Bjorkstrand and with uh, Panarin. Now they, you know, we remember towards early in the year, and this was, I think, more on Declare when it was this, it was just Declare instead of um, Panarin. And they said, we can't use that line. It's right. just too right. late. Right. There's, there's no way, but I do think Panarin is certainly a, we've, I mean, he's not big, but we've seen him play. He plays bigger than he is. So yeah, it would be kind of interesting. Uh, I, and I don't think they're taking Atkinson away from Dubois. That seems to work pretty well. Uh, and obviously we know where, where Cam's been and it just, it does. It just leaves Wenberg kind of hanging out there. It's just, it's, it's strange. It's strange for a guy of that skill set to have, for this to have carried into a second, a season and a half, basically, right? 
I mean, right. we're, we're, we're almost halfway to the second season, and we're still having the same discussion. Yeah, and, and in part, you you know, he, he lost his job. He got beat out by Dubois, plain and simple. And the blue Tortorella felt like Boone Jenner on that line with Felino, and he loves that line with Felino and Anderson where he can grind and grind and grind. So he sort of has played his own way out of it. Um, but now Tortorella has signaled that, that he's going to be given chances in offensive times of the game to sort of play his way back up again. And it'll be interesting to see at, at what cost or at whose cost uh, that comes. Because I, I can't imagine Pierre-Luc Dubois will, will enjoy sitting on the bench while Wenberg gets an offensive zone start with Panarin and, and Atkinson or Panarin and Bjorkstrand. So we'll see where that goes. Um, we, we have all been at that arena, that nationwide arena we call our second homes this time of year, early in the morning or late at night or in the afternoon when it's quiet, I often find myself looking out across and thinking, God, this is a beautiful building. And you, you can take things for granted when you see them every day. But when you travel around this NHL, there are a lot of wonderful buildings. Um, but I, most people agree with us, there aren't many finer than nationwide arena and it not only was um sort of a game changer when it was built with all of the glass with practice rink attached with right smack dab in the downtown corridor uh, but it also has aged really well tom wrote a seven thousand word piece tom yeah i think it took me longer to write it than they did to build it <laughs> <laughs> yes it was with it was with uh, more delays too. Um, <laughs> oh, stop! We get um, it's an incredible collection. Tell us a, tell, what was the idea behind it, Tom. Tell us the aspect of it that you most wanted to convey, um, and what what you learned along the process of reporting and writing that piece. Because there's a lot of stuff there. <coughs> Older people in Columbus who remember when it was being built, we'll know some of it and we'll remember some of it, but there's also a lot of stuff in there that there's no way people around here had, had ever heard. Lots of inside details. Uh, just walk us through that, that uh, piece, if you would. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's, I think it's a beautiful arena. I think it's an arena would even, that would get even more publicity if the team had been better early on. Right. There was one word I did not use in the, in the whole story. Because I think, sadly, it's outside of Columbus. It's just become known for the cannon. Yeah. Uh, and it, this is it's it's such a beautiful piece of architecture, and kind of like as Hitch said, it's it's looked modern from day one. Uh, I just was just trying to find different stories to tell of people who worked at it on it, and I thought one of the most interesting things was Charlie Stites, who was really good throughout the whole story. Uh, but but. These people that work on these buildings, it's it. They feel like it's their building. They yeah. work on it all this time. They're in the building, and then one day they change the locks, and it's no longer your building. But in talking with people, and and you have to remember in this business, if you're working on arenas, you're not going to then go go side a house, right? You're going to continue to work in on arenas, and a lot of these people have. Uh, they they continue to work on massive projects. And this one has always been special to them. And, and Jeff Vidal, 
who was the guy, the kind of the uh, master construction guy for Turner uh, Corporation, who was kind of in charge of the construction. He's the he's the gentleman that passed away in 2009, mm-hmm. and his wife was so gracious with her time and talking about it. And this really struck me that Jeff was an Ohio State graduate. He loved Ohio State football. I mean, that was his passion. He really liked the Blue Jackets too, but he got what most would consider a dream job right after here because he did such a good job kind of keeping the uh, the 50 or 60 subcontractors going along to work on um, the renovation of, of the horseshoe. But it, with it, for him, it was nothing even close to working on the arena because what Nationwide Arena did, and you guys know this, you live, you grew up here, both of you guys know. I know Allison moved away for a while. But there were a lot of people that did not come downtown. Oh. And yeah. I always joke about this, that from where I grew up in Northeast Ohio, they don't know what south of Lane Avenue is because Ohio State is the center of the universe in their eyes. And, and, and I thought Diamond McPherson hit it right on the head. They moved the arena district. Greatest legacy at this point is moving the center of Columbus four blocks north. And that's what's happened when you look at the district. And again, if the team was better, I think even more people would appreciate it. But you go into that district and there's always something going on. The baseball stadium, the concerts, uh, the places to eat. The players can live downtown because they decide they had the presence of mind to put the practice rink there where they didn't have to drive all over. uh, As you got and, and we all travel enough to know. Sometimes you're on the road and you want to go see the other team like, oh, my God, they're 20 miles away. Yeah. And so uh, it was really one of those things that was really well thought out. And, um, I, and I mean, the, the construction of it and, the, and, the, and Brian Ellison, what they did with the district. And then it was just really well. Uh, everyone kind of carried out their, their job. And it's, to me, still one of the nicer arenas in the league. One thing I loved about it, too, is Brian Ellison's it just – one of those guys that is is a credit to the city. I mean, what, I think every city needs a guy like that. Not all of them have a guy like that. Um, he 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 is largely responsible for what it looks like and how it feels down there, which is which is my God, what is what's something to put on your your uh, lifetime resume? But the, his comment about after Felino scores the playoff goal um, that just brought the roof off the place they went somewhere because they couldn't imagine going home they didn't want to leave right great thing about that area is it does feel like you're it feels like you're going to a place that has an arena in it not that you're going to an arena and i think of some of the buildings around the league uh, there's some great ones for sure but when the build when the game's over you're like all right now what right well chicago philadelphia where i'm going uh, later this week I mean, they've got like, they've got like this campus of arenas, but there's nothing there. Nothing. It was so poorly planned. Yes. That, that they, they should, you should have bars and restaurants all around that area. Philadelphia. And, uh, yeah, they just didn't think that stuff through. Right. They just didn't think it through. Ottawa, brutal. And I and I want to make one other point. And um, the point was is I I was away last week for a week on just working on this story. And the only reason that we can do stuff like that is, A, just the commitment of the athletic, and B, just the, my two fantastic partners that I have here. I mean, 
Aaron and Allison really produced some great stuff last week. And if we're if, if this is a one-person beat or a two-person beat where the first guy is not a superstar like Aaron, you can't do this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I mean it, you guys did some great work, and I and I I think of Allison's piece uh, on the Fine Master, and I remember when she brought it up to me, and we're talking about Lucas Sedlak, a great story. She said, "What do you think about this?" I said, "That's a note. It, it, to me, it's a note. I don't know if it's a full story." And then when I read her story, I'm like, "Oh my God, do I owe her an apology?" And then Forty, your story, your story on uh, on Ryan Murray. Just made me want to eat Doritos afterwards when I got done reading it. It was so laid back and chill. Uh, but you guys just just killed it all last week. So right. we, we we can't do those type these types of stories without having other people that can do what you guys are doing. Well, it's all true, and know that the uh, there's no way anybody would let you take a week away if they didn't no. know that the result would be this. For sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, so. it's just having good team team teammates and uh, so. All yeah. yeah, and and I I just want to pipe in too, and I said this this morning on Twitter as well. But what I loved about that story, and again, it's a credit to the work that Tom always does, is that it's not just a great story about the arena itself, but it captured the spirit of the thing. I felt like it was a story about the spirit of Columbus as a city too, and I just thought that that emotion, that energy around the whole thing was just beautifully done as well. So kudos to you, Tom. It was tremendous. And if I may continue the cat bath here, um, you had executives in there. You had some suits in there for sure. But what I loved about it, you had the guy that takes care of the floors. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. The, guy, the, the guy that organizes, the, that has something being painted every day, the working people the people who true who really have some elbow grease and broken fingernails and their heart and soul in that building, their sweat, blood, sweat, and tears in some cases, literally. Uh, yeah. That's what I loved about it. So urging people, if you're listening to this, you are almost certainly a subscriber. Um, definitely look at Tom's piece. Set some time aside, pour a coffee, crack a beer if it's later in the day, um, and sort of just allow yourself to drift away. Again, memories, but also a lot of things that you almost certainly don't, wouldn't have known. A lot of stuff I didn't know, and I was able, I was sort of here as it, as the story was playing out. So, great work for that. Anything we need to to add here, Tom, Allison? What's our? Uh, well, we we gave him the schedule. What's the Ohio State schedule this week, Allison? Well, everybody's on break uh, for the holidays, um, but I do want to just plant in people's minds now. Uh, the first weekend of January, there's a really cool series of games uh, going on at Ohio State Ice Rink. The newest NWHL team is coming to Columbus, uh, the Minnesota Whitecaps, to play the women in two exhibition games. And I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be a cool test for these women to play a, a professional team as well. So something to definitely check out if people are interested. And where will those games be? They'll be at the ice rink uh, on campus, the old ice rink. Yep. Yep. Didn't know if they were going Value City or not with that. Nope. Okay. Tom, anything else? You, you've got some roadies coming up here, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. It's all. Yeah, sorry uh, about that. Uh, yeah. It's the, holidays, the holidays in Newark, baby. Not Newark, Ohio. All right. But, uh, no, it'll be good. It'll be fun. And uh, Allison is a big fan of riding the train, too. I'm taking the train. Oh, my God. Billy to Newark. And it'll be good. And 
And I think you've got the the Ranger game right afterwards, right? That's right. That's right. If I just one small bit of advice, you don't have to heed it, but it's less than 7,000 words on the gamers. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Good tip. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a good uh, maybe 900 word story here. There you go. Okay. You're doing it. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we'll be back with you on Friday. And, uh, and a reminder, if you're if you've slacked off and you don't have gift ideas for the sports fan in your in your family, theathletic.com is a pretty good way to go. Uh, so look it up. Think about a subscription at least. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for reading all of the copy. And uh, we will talk to you again in just a few days. Take care.